0: You're listening to the exchange. Here's today's show. Thank
2: you, Scott. Welcome to the Exchange. I am John Ford and here is what's ahead. Stocks are staging a comeback falling from record high levels on concerns about the global economic recovery, but they are way off the worst levels of the day. Tech Still falling, though. The big names are lower across the board, except Amazon peeking into the green. But they've all had a good run, except one. What's the matter with Netflix? We will discuss that. And for today, at least, tech stocks and bond yields are falling together. The 10-year hitting a low of 1.25. Traders saying it could go all the way back to one flat. But we will talk to someone predicting 25 basis points to the upside. Let's get right to Don Chu. For the numbers
3: on the sell off. Dom. All right, so the numbers you mentioned well off the worst levels of the session, and to put some context, John, around just how low it got. Not far after the opening bell in the first couple hours of trading, the Dow Industrials down 212 right now. We're down roughly 536 points at the lows and down roughly 112 right after the opening bell. That represents the highs of the day. So you can see they're still, yes, in the middle of a trading range, but certainly tilted more towards the better end of things than the lower end. By the way, the S&P 500 down 30 points, also recovering quite a bit. And the Nasdaq composite just about the same level. Look at this. Two thirds of a percent declines across each of the major indices. No real relative laggards or leaders, so to speak. A very even market at this point in the afternoon. You mentioned those interest rates, one and a quarter percent, lowest level since mid February at this point here. The two-year note yield just a hair below 20 basis points, or 0.20%. Still though, that level is the one everyone's watching right now. Can it go lower than that one and a quarter percent for the 10-year Treasury note yield? And again, 30-year long bonds, 1.92%. And I want to show you two different intraday charts because it'll indicate to you just what has been leading in terms of some of this comeback right now. Check out American Airlines. I'm going to use it as a proxy for the reopening trade, travel and leisure. Look at how low it was early in the session. And that white line has moved steadily higher. Also, Devon Energy up almost 2% at this stage. That's the orange line. Reopening trades have been part of this comeback story, at least intraday for right now. John, will see if that still has legs as we head towards the closing bell later on this afternoon.
2: All right, Dom, thank you. And big tech now was staging a comeback in the last few weeks with those names outperforming. Despite the drop in yields today, the tech sector is losing ground. The NASDAQ on pace for its worst day in nearly a month. Let's get more on the tech trade with Josh Lifton at the
4: NASDAQ. Josh. John, that's right. The Nasdaq is giving up some ground here, but as Dom rightfully and correctly as always points out, we are well off our session lows here. And this is after a run, of course. Just yesterday, the index actually closing at an all-time high. Let's talk about some of the big names like Amazon. Now, it was in the red. Now, though, flipping into the green. Remember, Amazon closing at an all-time high just yesterday. Investors appearing confident with Andy Jassy officially taking the reins as the new CEO there. Also check out Apple falling here, but that comes after a very strong month for the iPhone maker. Bulls point to seasonality. In other words, with July to September, typically a period of outperformance for Tim Cook's company heading into that new iPhone launch in the fall. Of course, we have to mention Alphabet, too, with a group of states announcing an antitrust case against the company focused on the Play Store. Going to end here on the Chinese tech name still getting smacked around plenty. Names like Trip.com, Baidu, and JD.com. John, back to you. Yeah, Josh,
2: you just talked about. Uh, what's happening right now, which is great. Let's talk future a little bit. Catalysts for the rest of the year in tech. I was just hearing from a Salesforce exec that they are planning Dreamforce. So there'll be some announcements there. Of course, we've got earnings coming uh, later in the month and we've got you know iPhone, Windows 11 announcements. W- which of those things, any of those things uh, with your with your tech reporter hat on piquing your interest?
4: You know, I, I listen. I think Apple is uh, a fascinating one to always talk about. John, you know, I remember they last reported results; they far exceeded the street's expectations. Um, you know, I remember looking at the MAC uh, results. I did a triple take because I thought i had the number wrong. Uh, but it was interesting though is how investors reacted to that. I think a lot of investors thought, well, that's the good news, great print, but you can't possibly keep that momentum going. I think talking about catalysts, what's interesting is the way bulls have stepped in. One, they'll point to, as I mentioned, seasonality. You know, July, September should work for Tim Cook's company if history is any guide. But they'll also look to that iPhone 13, the new iPhone we expect in the fall. I know there's some on the street who are making the bet. They think that can now outperform what they see as lower expectations. That's an attractive setup, they argue. So we'll see if they're right, John.
2: All right, looking forward to seeing what they've got in store indeed, Josh Lipton, thanks. And not all tech stocks playing with the same hand here. Some are better positioned to handle downturns than others. Even within the fangs, you've got winners like Facebook and Alphabet and laggards like Netflix. So, which stocks can handle gyrations in the markets and swings in yields better than others? Joining me now is Laura Martin, Needham senior analyst. Laura, I know you've uh, you, you've had a skeptical eye on Netflix for a while now. What's the matter with it?
5: The problem is it's got real competition now, and they have a single pricing tier up at the fifteen dollar level, and they have very real competition from Discovery Plus, Disney Plus, Peacock, all which which have six dollar tiers which increases their total addressable market and creates a low-cost on-ramp into the more expensive service. But for people like consumers, that get sick of ads. So, you know, nothing is getting better for Netflix, and it's not part of the reopening trade because it is not ad-driven. And advertising is going to have a huge year over the next 12 months. We believe. So we'd rather be in ad driven tech stocks.
2: Let me push back on you here because I was looking at Netflix over periods of time. And sure, if you compare, say, Netflix to Apple over one year or over two, it looks ugly. But if you look over five or 10 years, right now they're neck and neck. So maybe, maybe what if, you know, the, the stock has just sort of cooled off a bit, Apple's caught up and now they run more in tandem. I mean, Netflix is still the leader in its category, and it seems to me similar to Apple. Apple hasn't really done a lot in advertising, though it's got a premium marketplace, and a lot of people thought they should've.
5: Pushing back hard on that, what Apple's genius is, is that it built a tech stack and now it just takes a 30% toll on every app on its platform. It does nothing and it earns 30% forever. It doesn't care who the hits are because if one app is a hit this year and the next year it's my app, they still get 30% doing nothing. So they build a tech stack, they get 30% tolls, not true of Netflix where they are spending 2 billion dollars extra every year to try to compete 17 billion this year. You know barely breaking even and they're trying to compete against the walt disney company and soon discovery warner brothers they do not have deep enough pockets to compete with even Viacom, which is gonna spend 19 billion on content this year. They do not have a toll gate where they do nothing and get a fee. Apple's a much better business model, my opinion.
2: Okay, you say 30% for doing nothing on a day, when we're talking about a bunch of state AGs cracking down on Google for its App Store practices, which are similar in the numbers to Apple's. So I noticed you got to buy on Apple, Buy on Alphabet, Google, uh, hold on Facebook about regulation. But hey, there are regulation concerns potentially across the board. Why more worried on some versus others?
5: Sure. So on Alphabet specifically, we would love it if the government would break up Alphabet because we think YouTube alone is the values getting buried inside the conglomerate. So that is... Um, YouTube this year will report 35 billion of revenue. It should be valued where Roku is right around that 16 times revenue instead because it's part of the conglomerate called Alphabet gets valued at five times. So if, it, if the government said, oh, Google's too big. It has too big a monopoly. So we're gonna force them to spin off YouTube. I think it creates 30% upside value for shareholders. And I like government regulation in the Google um, ecosystem. I don't like it for Facebook.
2: What about for Amazon? I talk to Andy Jassy every year and ask him, are they gonna spin off AWS? And he says, nope. And now he's the CEO. So his word goes a bit further. Would it be good though for the the stock, for investors if they did?
5: So I really love Amazon the most right now in the sense of hidden value. I think there's like, this is like a magician with a lovely assistant. The lovely assistant distracting you from real value is the e-commerce business. Everybody thinks it's e-commerce business. I don't agree with that. I think there is more value in their media business, now they've bought MGM and they own Twitch and they own Amazon Prime, than there is in the e-commerce business, not to mention what you just brought up, cloud, not to mention they are creating a Trojan horse of those Alexas, which is in-home internet of things management. Um, which is going to be incredibly valuable, and logistics. Like all of those are actually the magic at Amazon. And meanwhile, e-commerce just distracts you. Hmm. So I think Amazon is the most undervalued stock because people are, are think it's an e-commerce company, and I don't think it is.
2: You make a lot of sense, but I'm I'm going to push back just because it's my thing. It's what I do. You talk about the value in breakups. And we certainly saw that with eBay spinning off PayPal, but. Apple's modus operandi for the longest time has been vertical integration. The OS and the hardware together, now they've got chips that they're doing across their entire line and the services too. In the long term for a really smart company, isn't vertical integration good and couldn't spin outs be bad?
5: Um, You know, they could be. It depends on the synergy. Uh, You know, I I think it's harder. So I think when you spin off um, advertising-driven businesses, it really does, like, disassemble their monopoly. So like that would be a good regulatory um, outcome, I think, for Google, if you're a regulator. Um, I I think when you talk about Amazon, they just keep building businesses that are worth more than the e-commerce business. I think that's really hard to regulatorily break up because they're actually doing it in-house. So All of that says it's harder to get regulation. I do think that the regulators may kick out Amazon's own products, like Amazon Basic. But I got to tell you, Amazon Basics are great products at lower prices. So it actually hurt consumers if regulators did that. And they might get screams from consumers. So I just think some of these these large, I'm going to call them monopolies, are actually more protected from regulation because breaking them up would actually hurt consumers, which no politician wants to do.
2: Yeah, though, although... Congress might make law on this and leave the whole monopoly issue to the side. There's certainly some bills cooking up that way in Congress right now. Laura Martin, giving us a lot to chew on with Fang today. Thank you. My pleasure. Now coming up, we're gonna have more on rates as the yield on the 10-year treasury falls for a fourth straight day. JP Morgan's top bond strategist says the 10-year is about 25 basis points too low. We're gonna ask him why next. And Bitcoin is not immune from today's sell-off, down more than 5%, now flat over the past month. The exchange, back right after this.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast
6: is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. As we have been discussing the story of the day, well, one of them is yields. They continue to move lower. Rick Santelli is at the CME with more on the action. Rick, how low can they go and what's the driver? You know, John, I always uh, learned when I was a trader, uh, never guess how low
7: something can go while it's in the process of being guns hot, meaning we're trending lower in yield, higher in price, and it's proactive to step in front of this now is probably not a smart thing to do. But if I had to take a step back, I'd say the chances of us getting much closer to 1% still exists. Now look at a 24-hour chart of 10s. You can see by right around one and a quarter, a little bit lower was today's intraday low yield. And if you open it to a week to date, we are cascading lower. As you pointed out in the opening piece, we keep seeing more moves, matter of fact, Every day this week, we're trading under the previous day's lows, which yesterday was 129, which we're hovering at, but we've been lower. And if you open the chart to February, both for 10s and 30s, because this really is a long-dated, not only Treasury, but sovereign issue across the globe, you could see we're hovering at yields that we haven't closed at for 10s, mid-February for 30s, earlier February, and Boons overseas, same conditions. They're at the lowest yield since April. And this is interesting because it has a lot to do with how the currencies end up relating. The difference between our yields and boon yields Now is the closest it's been together around 160 base points, a little over one and a half percent difference in five months. And of course, the closer those get, the less beneficial the activity is for our currency. And finally, uh, one issue we want to point out while we're talking about the dollar quickly is the dollar is very sensitive to anything regarding the taper. The more or closer a taper comes, the higher the dollar index should go. John,
2: back to you. Rick Santelli, uh, thanks for giving us that overview and we're going to keep talking about this the sudden reversal in the bond market has been quick unexpected by many the rally has been so sudden and ferocious my next guest says the 10 year treasury yields appear to be around 25 basis points too low relative to their drivers and joining us now is jay barry head of usd government bond strategy for jp morgan uh so okay is this not so fast that's happening here we saw travel you know air travel over july 4th weekend up over 2019 and yet we see japan shutting down kind of live uh spectators for the olympics is this concern that perhaps the economy isn't going to be doing so well with risks like uh, the delta variant out there
8: thanks john I, I think some of it is related to the economy um, and less so about the delta variant but really more about the data flow that we've gotten the last few days so I think the employment report on Friday was perceived to be weaker than the markets had expected to go in. Um, payroll growth was very robust, but the unemployment rate actually ticked higher and was three ticks above where the market expected it to be. So to the extent that the market has been looking for a decline in the unemployment rate to sort of set the stage for Fed tapering, that was disappointing to the markets. And then similarly, the, the ISM services survey earlier this week was was pretty weak as well relative to consensus expectations, though pretty high from an sort perspective. So the data flow is weakened. And I think that's been the catalyst for yields to start to move lower. But it's really been a bit of a conflagration because of position technicals. And you know, we've been saying this for quite some time that investor positioning in rates has been very stretched to the short side. Um, we've got our, our weekly Treasury client survey, which showed that as of earlier this week, 22% of our clients on a net basis were positioned for higher yields, which mm. is a bit of a reduction over the prior week but still very high versus where we've been over the last five years and really over the last 15. So I think it's been the accelerant for coming from the fundamentals and the data that have taken it to position technicals and gotten us to where we are right now. So what do you
2: think happens from here then and why? You, you say that Treasury yep. year yields now 25 basis points too low relative to their drivers?
8: Yeah, so I think there's a mean reversion argument to be made that you could see yields move back to the sort of you know, fair value over time. And in our forecast for the balance of the year, we actually see rates moving higher to back to where they were, and then actually finishing the year closer to 195. But I think we need a catalyst for right now. I don't think that positions are fully cleaned up, and it's likely that we'll need more to see more unwinds in order to fully get back to neutral. Beyond that, I think we need a fundamental catalyst. And you know we talked about the, the employment numbers last week while the Fed's flexible average inflation targeting framework is focused on 2% inflation for a period of time, it's contingent upon being at maximum employment. So we need to see the unemployment rate start to resume its descent, and we'll have to wait another three weeks for another employment report. Secondly, I think we need to see where we go um, on fiscal. Um, The infrastructure package is being debated right now, but it's been sort of stalled for the last couple of months. And I think we need to get a better sense that Congress is finding a way to pass an infrastructure bill later this year in order to be a catalyst to see yields begin to rise once again from where they are right now. Now, of
2: course, whenever we talk about yields, I've got one eye on stocks, right? Because we were seeing such a reaction in equities to movements in the 10-year just not too long ago. But, you know, maybe the idea is to have more of a look at the fed as well uh what's the impact of this on the likelihood of an early taper
8: so i think the market movements themselves um, should not impact the timeline of the taper and in our minds at jp morgan in order to see that substantial further progress that gets us to tapering it's really going to be the labor markets tightening further so we expect a december tape spring announcement from the fed to be implemented at the beginning of next year and that the Fed will be done with its asset purchases by late summer of 2022. But I don't think the, the change in financial conditions the last few days would derail the Fed. I think what would derail it is if we don't make that substantial further improvement, if the labor market does not tighten from current levels. So I think that's the biggest catalyst right there to change our forecast. Okay, we talk, keep talking
2: about the labor market and the overall economy, and uh, that makes me wonder about the impact of the stimulus on on jobs and people getting back to the workplace, how much of that do you see impacting where we see um, where we see yields going?
8: So I think our economists will tell you that um, a piece of what we're seeing in this imbalance between labor supply and labor demand is certainly coming from the extended unemployment benefits, which are set to expire at the beginning of September. So that should help free up some more labor supply, but it's also hesitance over um, COVID itself. So. If we're right, we have the unemployment rate moving another percentage point lower between now and the end of the year. So that's a pretty decline for a full year, much less um, six months. So if we're right with that, you know, that's what's built into our forecast and why we see yields actually moving higher from where they are right now. But we actually need to see that from the official data before we can, I think, as I said before, um, resume that trend that began earlier this year.
2: All right. I guess after Labor Day, we'll see how labor plays. Uh, Jay Barry, thank you. Thanks, John. Now, coming up, is it still game on for the meme stocks? We're going to take a look at some of the reddit favorites bucking the trend during this broader market sell-off. Plus, how is the ESG trade holding up during today's sell-off? We're going to dig in to the solar EV and alt Energy names that are on the move, the exchange. Back right after this
0: with the Wells Fargo active cash credit card, you can earn unlimited two percent cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need.
2: Welcome back to the exchange markets. Right now, continue to be in the red, but they have cut their losses just about in half. The Dow was down 536 points at the lows. The Nasdaq was down 2%. You can see it's rebounded quite a bit. All 11 S and P sectors are in the red right now. Among the biggest laggards are financials, industrials, and technology. Now, within financials, the regional banks are particularly under pressure. M and Bank, PNC, and KeyCorp all lower. Transports. Also under pressure, railroads in particular moving lower after the White House says the president will issue an executive order targeting rail competition. And shares of Chewy, let's do a little pet food, in the red after Needham initiated coverage with a hold rating saying out-of-stock issues and higher wage investments uh, would be near-term headwinds for that stock. It's down 10% this year after a stellar 2020 when it jumped 200%. And now let's get to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel.
9: Hi, John Ford. Here's what's happening at this hour. The FDA approving new instructions for prescribing a controversial and expensive new Alzheimer's drug that could limit its use. The FDA announced saying that Biogen's Aduhelm is appropriate for patients with early or mild Alzheimer's and not all stages of the disease, as was said when the drug was first approved. Get ready for even more bad weather this year. Researchers at Colorado State University have raised the number of named storms that they expect this hurricane season to 20 from 17. And on the news tonight, another heat wave taking aim at the West Coast. California towns running out of water. We're going to get a live report on how residents are getting by. That's tonight at 7, of course. And in Nebraska, media mogul Ted Turner is donating an 80,000-acre ranch to a nonprofit agricultural research institute. And he says he'll keep paying taxes on the land. Turner is the largest landowner in the state, and John officials had worried that his expected land donations would slash tax revenues in some communities. I'll send it back
2: to you. Rahel, thank you. Now coming up, we're continuing to watch the rebound in some areas of the market. Check out this stock. It's like an action movie. AMC, it hit a low below $39 a share right out of the gate this morning, trading at almost 49 now. Airlines rebounding from their lows today. Meanwhile, they had been falling on concerns about the Delta variant and how that might slow the travel recovery. You will check on those stocks. Stay with us. Welcome back. The market's selling off today, but way off the lows. The major averages on pace still for their worst day in nearly three weeks, partly a reflection of how well they've been doing. Let's drill down now on some sectors driving the markets move lower. We got CNBC team coverage, Christina Parts covering the mayhem for the mead trade, uh, Pippa Stevens tracking clean energy, and Phil LeBeau covering the airlines. Christina, let's uh, start with you. The meme trade recovering midday, but it's been a rough month as people get a little queasy, perhaps, about risk
10: excellent point, right? So you're wondering who's still playing the meme game because companies though, like AMC, GameStop, BlackBerry are actually today moving counter to the market. So we've often seen this kind of trend or stocks climbing, these meme stocks climbing when we buy the dip kind of market, which is what we're kind of in right now, especially when crypto also tends to track lower. Keep in mind too, there is lower trading volume in recent sessions. So swings are a little bit more likely. And then you possibly throw in some short selling covering as well. And that could push the prices higher, which you're seeing on your screen right now. But for week to date, that's when you start to tell a different story. Here's some of the biggest meme losers. You've got Clover Health, Meta Materials, all down double digits. AMC also climbing lower, but uptick today really helped. Others that aren't so hot as well. You've got Fubo TV, Palantir, Context Logic, GameStop, Tilray. Let's even throw Tesla in the mix too. Big picture though, these stocks are still winners. AMC stock is up more than 2,000% year to date. GameStop up more than 900% year to date. And many online, the retail traders, say they don't plan to sell. Or as they say in the online world, hashtag apes not leaving. So often these meme stocks like AMC track more technical factors like options volume and short selling interest. It may also be why many of these retail traders are still waiting for the quote, M-O-A-S-S, the mother of all short squeezes. John?
2: (laughs) Christina, I I wonder at this point what's really moving these stocks and how much of it really is this retail investor traffic in forums like Wall Street Bets and then how much the pros have really gotten into these trades and are pushing things one way or the other. Is your sense just from the culture of the chatter within these Reddit forums that at least these retail traders believe that they have their hand on the steering wheel and they're in some control of this or no?
10: Oh, of course they do, which is why so many of these uh, hashtags are trending right now, including uh, stock market on Twitter. So overall, they're commenting on the fact that the uh, the sh- percentage of the float right now is still heavily shorted for a lot of these stocks. AMC, for example, 17%, GME, uh, the percentage of that float about uh, up uh, well above 16% as well. So these are double-digit numbers. People betting the stock will fall. So if, to answer your question really quickly, what could be happening? You have short sellers covering their position, pushing maybe some of these stocks higher. You have the fact that people are taking advantage of the buy the dip market right now and putting their money into retail because they hit some uh, certain levels. You have crypto falling. So often meme stocks go uh, in the opposite direction of crypto. So there's many factors, uh, none that I could say specifically, but these are some of the trends we're seeing. And of course, they feel like they're very strong and they still have their hands on the steering wheel to answer your question.
2: Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> People have a way of getting surprised, so we'll see. Good luck to them. Uh, Christina, thanks. Meanwhile, airlines off the lows of the day, still negative for the week, and nearly all of them are down more than 10% in the past month. This despite more and more passengers taking to the skies. Phil LeBeau joins us from Chicago with
11: the latest. Phil? John, the big question for a number of people who invest in the airline stocks The summer surge, does it continue past Labor Day? Or is this one of these things where you say, this is as good as it's going to get for the rest of this year? In the last month, we have seen the airline stocks move lower. And increasingly, we hear analysts asking this question, what can we expect post Labor Day? Morgan Stanley out with a note today saying, what is the summer surge going to turn into? Will we see more corporate bookings in the fall? The passenger levels right now, just to put this all in perspective, we're down anywhere between 15 and 25%, depending on the day of the week. But we should point out that 13 of the last 26 days it has topped 2 million passengers, and a couple of days last weekend it was better than it was in 2019. So we are seeing the steady continuing improvement in passenger traffic, especially domestically. To take a look at a few of the airline stocks that we didn't show at the top there, most specifically Alaska, JetBlue, and Spirit. The other thing to keep in mind with these guys, we have earnings and financial reports those are going to be coming up starting next week and the big focus will be q3 booking trends john that's what everybody's going to be looking at phil help us
2: understand uh the profitability and and the business model behind just these bookings as well. I mean, business travel right. would tend to be profitable. I'm not sure how many of the different it's, airlines are- It's the are, most profitable. Right. I, I'm not sure how many of the different airlines are discounting now to get that traffic versus it's you know, luxury vacation travel is coming back as that revenge spending well, happens- Well, it's leisure travel
11: right now, John. And leisure yeah. travel, generally speaking, is not going to be as profitable as corporate travel. You want corporate travel if you're an airline. So that's what they need to come back post-Labor Day. Having said that, they're not discounting these tickets right now for the summertime. I mean, if you go on and try to book a flight right now, let's say for the middle of August, you're going to be looking at the airfares and saying, whoa, where are the great deals? They're just not there. And they don't have to be there because there's so much demand in the market right now. Phil, I
2: wonder, is there a sense or maybe even just a hypothesis that if people are traveling for pleasure and they have a decent experience, it's not the end of the world, they'll be more likely to say, oh, well, I'll travel for business too.
11: I think so. I mean, look, that's just based on talking with people. And also, when I talk with people about corporate travel, this whole idea that, well, people are going to stay at home and they're not going to do corporate travel. Is there some of that? Yes. But increasingly, I am hearing from friends in various different industries who are saying, I'm getting back out on the road. Maybe not as much as I was in 2019, but I'm starting to travel again. And I think we're going to see more of that in the fall.
2: Yeah, I I mean, anecdotally, Phil, I know that I'm getting more sources, more companies saying, hey, I look forward to sitting down with you in person. And if that's an important relationship, you're inclined to go out and sit down with them in person. Absolutely. And I'm a journalist. I mean, if you're in sales, you're going to chase that money. (laughs) Phil LeBeau, thank you.
11: You're absolutely right.
2: Uh, It has been a brutal week, meanwhile, for uh, clean energy. That continues. The ETF that tracks that sector, PBW, pacing for its seventh straight negative session. Pippa Stevens following that for us. Pippa.
12: Hey, John. Another down day for clean energy amid a risk-off tone in the broader market, although these stocks are well off their worst levels of the session. The Invesco Wilder Hill clean energy ETF ticker PBW now down 1% after earlier declining about 5%. Still on pace, though, for its worst week since May, down 4%. The fund tracks all parts of the clean tech ecosystem, and we're seeing weakness across the board, from electric vehicles to hydrogen to wind. And solar stocks, no exception, also taking a hit. The Invesco solar ETF, ticker TAN, down 2%. Sunova, Sunrun, Hannon-Armstrong, and Scholl Technologies, among the names leading those declines, all dipping at least 2%. These stocks are still viewed as somewhat risky by the market. So on a day like today, when we're seeing investors take risk off the table and buy treasuries, this group is going to take a hit. Additionally, the majority of clean tech is still small caps, which are also getting hit across the board. The Russell 2000 declining two and a half percent this week compared to the S&P's roughly one percent dip. Concerns around the infrastructure bill and what that ultimately looks like also weighing on clean tech, John. I'll send it back to you.
2: Yeah, uh, you mentioned the infrastructure bill. Uh, I also wonder about if there are other things that analysts point to as potential catalyst one way or the other for these stocks whether it's home building on the solar side or other things is there particular chatter that you're hearing about what might influence the direction from here the rest of the year
12: the infrastructure bill is certainly top of mind if the market hates one thing it's uncertainty and we still don't know what that bill is ultimately going to look like and these projects are multi-year in the making and so we really need clarity around that for solar companies, for wind companies to decide to invest once again and really ramp up their production. Other concerns are just stretched valuations. These stocks are down this year, but if you look over the past year, the Investigo Solar ETF, the PBW, is still up about 100 percent, some names up over 200 percent. So there were just concerns that they had gotten a little bit stretched and that a pullback here was healthy. But uh, over the longer term, investors expect these names to continue going up. They point to the runway growth, the transition to a cleaner energy economy and just the top down administration from Biden prioritizing climate policy going forward.
2: Yeah, Just like the meme stock folks who expect things to continue going up. Um, You know, we we will see certainly government, uh, as you mentioned, having a big influence there. Uh, Pippa, thank you. Now, stocks have been cruising along quite nicely, making new highs seemingly every day until now. So if today's selling ushers in a new period of volatility, who knows? What changes, though, could you be making and should you be making to your portfolio? And we want to show you shares of Amazon, which just hit an all-time high after reversing sharp declines. It's now up 15% this year. Got a new CEO this week. The exchange is back after this. Welcome back to The Exchange. Stocks cutting their losses after sliding on concerns about falling rates, a rise in the Delta variant and its impact on the economic recovery. So are there areas of the market that can weather any storm that lies ahead and provide returns for investors? Joining me now are David Banson, Chief Investment Officer of the Banson Group, and Mark Smith, Senior Vice President Portfolio Manager at Wells Fargo Advisors. Guys, welcome. Uh, Mark, we were just talking about volatility in clean energy, but perhaps there's stability in just energy itself?
1: Yeah, John, I think you're right. And the reason for that is because of valuations. Uh, Energy really hasn't had the kind of run-up we've seen from many other sectors coming out of the pandemic. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity because of that. And so as people start to go back to work Um, After Labor Day, I'm getting clients um, at all the major firms saying that their bosses are telling them they've got to be back in September. If that's the case, traffic's going to pick up, travel's going to pick up, and energy should do well as a result of that. So um, because the valuations coming out of the pandemic and the the demand issue, I think it's a good place to be. And I also think that uh, the materials sector should do pretty well uh, because you can't find anything to build a home. You know, I, I just purchased a home. I'm on a nine month waiting list for simple materials to, to, to uh, complete my project. So uh, you're, you're, you're seeing that supply and demand is happening on both those sectors. And that's where I think the upside is for investors.
2: Yeah, Mark's pointing to people coming back to work. And if that's happening, David, uh, that's gotta be good for commercial real estate, right? Is that why you like Simon Property Group?
13: Well, we've liked it for quite some time because we believe that it had the free cash flow that was going to support this really, really attractive dividend and that if all the bad things happened, even worse than expected, they had this asset base. There was really great brick and mortar assets uh, that had way less leverage than they had back around the time of the financial crisis. So we like Simon Property as a cash flow generator. I'll add to Mark's point on energy. I think that you have great free cash flows now because you've had much better capital discipline from some of the producers, particularly Chevron, Exxon. They've been able to turn the knobs down a bit on their CapEx. They protected their dividend through 2020. Now it's a really good path ahead for those big energy companies.
2: So David, it sounds like you would say that the recovery trade is not really front and center anymore is it back more to a look at fundamentals and you know where the bargains are perhaps uh when you look at the strength of an underlying business versus where it's trading
13: yeah i think that's a good way to say it the way we put it to clients is this Uh, we believe that the recovery trade was priced in months and months ago there's still room for recovery to outperform expectations but for the most part, the easy money is gone and has been gone for some time. Right now, you're in a position where people worry about inflation, deflation. You're talking about uh, low rates are hurting markets today. A few months ago, we said higher rates were hurting markets. We want to be agnostic about that. That's why we focus on free cash flow and we focus on dividend growth because then it's, yeah, fundamentals, but it's also better companies with better operating leverage. So that free cash flow benefits us, whether hmm. we're a withdrawer from our portfolio or we're accumulating by reinvesting dividends. Now, Mark, one of the things that we've seen headlines-wise
2: over the past few days is, you know, some changes in China, particularly when it comes to where companies can list, what the rules are going to be. I mean, the story ahead of Didi's IPO had been, hey, bet on the strength of the Chinese middle class and the growth of that. But now it's unclear, isn't it, the degree to which U.S. investors, investors outside of China, are going to have safe access to make that bet.
1: Yeah, it's very unclear. Um, I do think that Chairman Xi is starting to rein in on a lot of the excess that's happened with IP, in the IPO market. And, um, but I do think there's a lot of opportunity because of that. Um, you're seeing that many of these stocks in China have gone down uh, precipitously over the last few months um, during this change. But if it really is just having some oversight, and things are going to go right back to normal. We got to remember, China is 1.3, 1.4 billion people. Lots of companies there that have gone public in the last few years. That'll do very well with that type of population and the growth that's been happening just from that. So I, I do think that even though you're seeing some uh, some downturn in the Chinese stocks now, there's potentially a, a huge opportunity if this is just a blip and things are going to go back to business as usual.
2: David, you have thoughts on that? Is this really more of an issue of who gets to make money? At that come public moment and China wanting to bring that in house and maybe even perhaps impose, uh, you know, do some arm twisting around the government's own access to data going forward in these companies. And then, you know, once the company's trading, it is pretty stable. Or is there a fundamental change in the value of and the safety of Chinese companies in the public markets based on what's happening here?
13: Well, let's say it's the first thing that you said, that it has to do with China wanting to control the entry into public markets. What is the limiting principle there? See, this is the problem in doing business with the Communist Party, that the free enterprise principles cannot be assumed to be operating. It may be pragmatically that they allow it to go there, but you can't take it for granted. So that has to get priced into the risk premia. I think that's what Mark's referring to, is maybe that ends up undervaluing some of the companies. And we've all seen the returns that people have made with Alibaba But going forward, I think this DD thing is a big deal. I don't think there's such thing as business as usual because you have to have priced in that you cannot trust the sovereign authority that regulates the issuer. That has a lot of effect on how we treat it here in the New York Stock Exchange. Huh. Now, but Mark, I I, got to separate
2: uh, what we believe is sort of morally and ethically right in a system and what the financial impacts are. Sometimes you know, authoritarianism is very good for profitability <laughs> and growth, I hate to say it. So you know, what should investors do here when it, when it comes to China and maybe even reflect if you have thoughts on this, on what investors do with regulatory risk and legal risk around big tech in the US very different. Not saying the two things are equivalent, but in both cases, it's governments flexing to uh, impose their will, perhaps, on companies.
1: John, you you said it. Risk, risk, risk. There's a lot of risk going on in China right now. Um, And so if you're a long-term investor, there could be a lot of reward there. But I think in the short term, um, you definitely have to be aware that the Communist Party of China can do things that our government cannot. And so there's risk inherently involved in investing in any of those companies in, in, in that part of the world. So if you're a long-term investor and you believe in the story that these companies can't help but make money in this in, in that environment because of what they're providing, with the service they're providing, people aren't going to go back outside and start hailing cabs, John. They're going to use their apps and they're going to do whatever they need to do to get a package to their door. We're, we, we're, we've already crossed that bridge. We're not going back. So Chairman C eventually is going to catch up, you know, and, and once that happens, I think there could be opportunity. But how long that's going to take? God only knows.
2: Ah, and, and where do you want to put your money? How much do you want to align that with your values? Investors certainly have to think about that. Thank you, Mark Absolutely. Smith and David Banson. Now, let's get a check on materials we are just talking about at this hour. While most sectors are trading well off their lows, materials still down more than 1% today. That's an extension of recent weakness we've seen, particularly among names that are exposed to volatility in commodity prices. Of the 11 sectors, materials is the furthest from its recent record, down 8% from its May 17th all-time high. And today, names across the board are selling off, including the metals and mining stocks like Freeport and Newmont, chemical and paint players like Eastman, Lind, uh, PPG, and Sherwin-Williams, also in the red. Now coming up, Amazon's profits, designer handbags, and Janet Yellen. How all those things are converging in Italy this weekend, we will explain next on The Exchange. The recent rally for big tech hit a speed bump today, Amazon excluded, but a much bigger potential threat lies ahead. A new set of taxes in Europe. Elon Moy joining us now with more on the delicate dance that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is going to have to do at the G20 meeting. Elon?
6: Well, John, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will be pushing her counterparts at the G20 in Italy this week to rewrite the rules for taxing big tech. Eight European countries have implemented digital services taxes, including France, Free Britain and Italy. Others are working on their own proposals, with the EU expected to release one later on this month. Now, the U.S. has not been happy about this, and it's responded with both carrots and sticks. First, tariffs. America has threatened to slap 25 percent tariffs on more than a billion dollars of iconic European goods like Italian handbags and British bath salts. Now Those are currently on hold while the second part of this process plays out, building support for a global minimum tax of 15 percent. Now Already the OECD has gotten on board with this. The G7 is behind it as well. Now Yellen will work to convince the G20 to agree. In return, other countries would drop their taxes on big tech. Now, right now, only Alphabet and Microsoft have an effective tax rate that's more than 15 percent. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, they all pay less than that. So it's possible that a global minimum tax could wind up hurting their bottom line. But, John, Facebook at least has said that it would rather pay more in exchange for clear rules and certainty. Back to you.
13: Yeah, I, that that
2: makes sense. Uh, certainty is so important lacking and shuts a premium for these companies, not just when it comes to taxes, but when it comes to uh, regulation and and legal issues. What's the interest of the U.S. here in fighting so hard for big tech? Is it a sense that Europe is looking to take more than others from these companies specifically because they're from the U.S.?
6: Yeah, that's exactly right, John. It's sort of like, you know, if anyone's going to tax these companies, it's going to be us, right? They don't want <laughs> Europe to take that tax revenue from them. And so they feel like this is sort of unfair and that American companies were being uh, singled out here amongst a broader landscape of large multinationals. And so what Yellen is pushing for is for all of these big companies, whether they're in tech or other lines of business, to be looked at with the same set of rules, not just singling out the Facebooks of the world.
2: Yeah, nobody else to discipline my kid. I'll take care of that <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> at home. Uh, I wonder how much the pandemic and economic recovery factors into this as well, especially when you're talking about Italian handbags and what Italy's, Italy's been going through.
6: Yeah, so part of the argument that Yellen is making for that second part of the process, the global minimum tax, is that this is needed to raise revenue to pay for things like the pandemic when they come up. Companies need, uh, countries need revenue right now in order to deal with these crises and to invest in some of the um, communities that have been left behind in the uneven recovery that we're seeing across the global stage.
2: Indeed. Ilan Moy, thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com active cash.